Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We told you we'd be here. We told you we would be back. Jeremy Clark and Jeff Mitchell for this ninth season of the Frogcast. It is hard to believe that we have been going this long, but we're digging in, and it is a whole new era. Jeremy, frogs go up there to Colorado and launch the Sunny Dykes era with a 38-13 win at Folsom Field in Boulder. Just you give me your opening thoughts on what it was like to see a, a non-Gary Co- Kip Patterson coach team take the field. I'm not talking about Jerry Kill. I'm talking about a whole new era. We'll dig into the ins and the outs of the game. What was it like to see Sonny Dykes lead them on the field? I had, it was pretty cool. It was the com- culmination of what we've really seen in the spring and, and fall, players having a, a different energy about them, um, players having fun. I think everyone that watched the game can agree that the defense looked really good. Um, The offense started slow, but we saw some of the glimpses of success they can have in the second half. And I mean, it was just, it was just really, really cool because I know a lot of fans figured out that this could be a game that could set the tone for the season. This was another power five opponent. You're going on the road and you look at Colorado's message boards. They all felt that, Colorado was going to give TCU a run for their money, and even a lot of them thought that they were going to win that game. And it was cool to see that all the fans for TCU predicting a win, and 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 really, TCU answers the call. They go up there and get a win. They scored thirty eight points in a game where they didn't click on all cylinders, but you still walk away thinking, man, that was a that was a pretty good beating of a of a uh, power five team. Now Colorado is not that great, but it's still. I mean, you're looking at. 38-6 with less than a minute to go, and Colorado gets a garbage touchdown. So you're looking at a complete dominant performance from the from the Frogs, and what better way to start Sonny Doc's career to to go up there on the road and, and get a convincing win. This wasn't a close win. This was a dominating win. I mean, it's not like the Frogs opened with Alabama, but at the same time, it's not like they opened with Duquesne. Right. And so you're opening on the road against a Power 5 team, and, and, and it's not like you're traveling to Purdue where, you know, you're on central time and, you know, everything's just flat and normal up there. You know, talk about what it was like being up there. Um, you know, they, they call it, they, we used to call it Mile High Stadium there where, the, where the, um, the Denver Broncos played. You know, you're on the road. You're in altitude. What was the literal geograph- the geography like um, being able to walk the steps? And did you see any impact from the players? Because I think in some ways that's, that was a harder thing to uh, prepare for than what they did on third down. Yeah, this was a bucket list item for me. I've always wanted to go see a, a game at Colorado just based on, you know, how good they were back in the early 90s. Eric Bieniemy, Darian Hagan, and then Cordell Stewart later on. But um, it, it's a it's a pretty cool setting for a football game now. The stadium could actually use a lot of renovations and, and kind of get upgraded in some areas. Um, but just the overall setting, man, I thought it was great. And the altitude, you know, I'm I'm not a skinny guy, Jeff. I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have much pressure on my lungs. Um, I didn't have much of an issue walking around and, and getting to where I needed to be. I will say that they had the windows open in the press box, and it was it was unseasonably hot up in Colorado. It was like ninety five degrees, and uh, me and me and uh, everyone's good buddy Jeremiah Glenn, we actually went up there together. We went over to Red Rocks earlier in the day. Now I'm not going to mention how Jeremiah walked up the steps, but we we're, we're not in quality shape like we used to be. I'll just say that, but. As far as so you're uh, you're not the three down defensive lineman for Azel that you were. yeah 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 I look like a D lineman now but 
You know, as far as players go, I think it was really important. I asked Sonny this after the game because, and I was even mentioning it on the on the board during the game. I've never seen them sub out so many guys, and I think the final number of players that participated was seventy. Just think about that for a second. Seventy players participated in that football game. So, if you're looking at uh, from a perspective of of getting guys in and out, especially on defense, you mentioned. Me looking like a defensive lineman, I'm not near as athletic as those guys are. I mean, they they were making plays, and I think the coaches did a phenomenal job of getting them in and out. There were some series where you'd obviously see Dylan Horton, Dominic Williams, and Terrell Cooper come out there on first down. Then there was other uh, series where you'd see Caleb Fox and Sony Missy and and uh, George Ellis start start the uh, the drive. So it they did a really good job of subbing in and out you saw a lot of linebackers play Shad Banks was in there quite a bit made some plays but i think overall if you can have a system where you have that much uh guy much depth on a on the defensive side of the ball that's always going to help them but especially playing up there in that altitude altitude and elevation you are a mile high uh, above sea level so it it obviously affects some people but I think TCU did a, a great job of getting subs in and out and keeping their players fresh, and I think that helped them tremendously. So would you say that getting 70 players into the game, is that um, altitude? Is that let's see who can play where and in real live against a Power 5 team? Is that a little bit of both? What do you think contributed? Because I think you, you can only take 85 on the road um, in a in an out-of-conference game, if I remember correctly. I don't even think so that's a <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there was a cap because I asked about it because they kept saying during the week of practice that they felt like they were going to take a lot of players. Um, okay, but, but I think it was okay. a little bit. Maybe, of, maybe that's. Um, I could be. I could just be making that up. I well, thought there was a hard no, cap. You're not making. It, it up. might be there a. Is, there is some kind of rule, um, but I but I I want to say that the few times that I asked about it, the week leading up to the game, I was told that there wasn't a limit. So, but I, to answer your question, I think it was a little bit of both. I think they they wanted to keep players fresh and, and maybe see what some of those players are going to do. But I mean, here's here's the most refreshing part about this whole deal, Jeff. When when Sonny says something in the media, it usually ends up happening. Um, he told us if people listened or people read the articles or watched the videos, he's been saying for a few weeks there's going to be a lot of guys playing, and that is basically them figuring out who can play what uh, in, in what situations. And, and some of it's just some of these guys are just as good. I mean, you really don't get that much of a drop-off between your twos and threes or maybe even sometimes your ones and twos. So that's why you can go out one series with uh, Dominic Williams at nose tackle and the next series, Sony Missy, or, or one series you got Josh Newton and, and Travis Hodges-Tomlinson at corner, and then the next series you got Keon Stewart and Noah Daniels. So those those guys are doing a tremendous job of just evaluating, giving each player their opportunity to go out there and show what they can do. But I think if they get further down the season and they're still doing that, I think it's going to hurt them a little bit just because you want to get those guys and, and get a rhythm in them, especially on offense. But I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all to have that kind of depth and, and them have that many guys in the tank that they could go to. Yeah, that is definitely a change, and we'll see how that shakes out. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Tarleton here at the end, but, you know, the Frogs obviously have a um, – historically, we'd play a cupcake out of, the, out of the gate and then maybe have that Power 5 conference game, out-of-conference game week two, and then roll into SMU. But th- this sets up really well that if they're able to get 70 guys into the game on the road against a Power 5 team – 
and then turn around next week and then get to play an FCS team, a team that's that's to be honest, they're they're not they haven't been in FCS for 20 years. This gives the Frogs a lot of chance to not only get a lot of players on the field, but for them to be able to evaluate how, how do they respond to this situation? How do they respond to a, a quick signal change right before the snap? So I'm going to be curious to see how this contributes to the um, health of the Frogs down the road, because this is, as you said, this is something new. And, and Sonny said it and Sonny did it. And um, as, as you noted, that is a change. Well, this was this was really the tale of, of two halves, Jeremy. We've got seven to six at halftime. And the only offensive, I mean, the only touchdown that the Frogs put up was was on a punt return from, from Darius Davis. Nothing new for Frog fans. But then the Frogs went on a 31 to nothing run that got uh, obviously a little garbage time touchdown scraped on there at the very end with about a minute left. It was a tale of two halves. So let's just start with the first half. What, what did you see in the first half that you liked on offense? What did you see in the first half that you didn't like on offense? Let's go through that, and then we'll flip over to the other side of the ball and stick with the first half. Oh, there's not a whole lot of offense that I really did like in the first half. I mean, you only had 14 yards rushing and 67 yards of total offense. Um, there was obviously first game jitters. Um, I, I felt like uh, some of the receivers were getting open. I felt like the O-line was – Blocking pretty good for the most part, but I think uh, a lot of us would have liked to see Kendra Miller get more than two carries. Um, I did like what I saw on the runs by Quentin Johnston and, and Tay Barber and, and, and those guys uh, just just getting out. But I, I would say as far as the uh, quarterback play goes, it was – it was. Uh, I'm not going to just say it was just downright bad, but it wasn't good. You know, that's not the – to be completely honest, that's not the Chandler Morris a lot of us saw in fall camp. Um, Chandler was usually on point with his throws. And whatever it was, I don't know if it was just nerves or, or what, but there was a few plays where he just didn't make good decisions, just had bad throws. And one play in particular, uh, particular that really stood out to me was, I can't remember the, the, the offensive lineman, but the offensive lineman was pulling for him, and Chandler was rolling right. And I mean – me and Jeff Wilson from the one of the sides frogs today, he was we both said, Oh man, he's gonna run. And he just stopped and just kind of stood there and then tried to throw across his body and threw it behind Quentin Johnston. That's not a play that he would would have made in fall camp. I think he was just pressing too much and wasn't really taking what was given to him. I thought um, that was one of the big reasons why the offense was was lacking a little bit because you couldn't get any consistency throwing the football. And if you can't throw the football, then obviously you're not going to be to be able to run the football because at that point Colorado was thinking, man, this guy this guy can't hit anything. So if you can't if you can't throw the ball, obviously you're not going to get running lanes. You're not going to get a rhythm with your running backs. But that's mostly bad. I I, I can't think of anything really good that that sticks out. And, and again, you really, you really don't have a lot of things to choose from when you only get 67 yards and zero points of offense in the first half. Yeah, you get 67 yards. You, you noted the two things that I put in my notes. Uh, Kendra Miller needs to get the ball more and Quentin Johnson needs to get the ball more. And, you know, I know this sounds like the guy that's had three beers in the stands yelling um, <laughs> that we need to fire Max Schultz, but <laughs> let's go throw back there. But, you know, that, that, that's the core of our offense, you know, whether it's Max or, or Chandler at quarterback or, or Sam, 
Sam Jackson is, you know, Kendra Miller and Quentin Johnston are the two guys that are going to light it up for the frogs. If, if they have good games, the frogs are in a great chance to win. And both of them are going to play on Sundays. So, you know, without getting inside of the mind of Garrett Riley or, or what Sonny has scripted out for them, what do you think was contri- uh, the contributing factor to seeing those guys being the witness protection program for the first half? I, uh, like I said earlier, I think it was just first game, just first game jitters. And, uh, I mean that it, it things things really happen strangely when you're when you're playing uh against someone else. You've been going against someone for three weeks, you get in a rhythm where you feel like everything's gonna work out just fine. And when that thing doesn't work out, when you're not able to just maul the defensive line or get big passes against the defense, and all of a sudden you're thinking, Oh man, this this team is actually stopping us, then it gets gets you out of a rhythm and, and I think it got everyone out of rhythm from the quarterback, from the offensive lineman, even Garrett Riley just doing some of the play calls he had. Um, I, I think if if he goes back and looks at it, I'm sure he would want to give more carries to Kendra Miller, try to get Quentin Johnson the ball more. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's the first game. It's the first game under a under a new coaching staff. You've got a, 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 not only a new head coach, you've got a new quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, New running backs coach. You got the same receivers coaches, but um, I I want to say we're just because it's not just because it's Tarleton. Obviously, they're not going to have the type of athletes TCU has, but I think you're going to see a lot more cohesive offense this this week, a lot more rhythm, and them trying to get the ball to their playmakers early and often. Yeah, I don't want to sound like we should be perfect on the first drive of a new coaching um, regime and then continue to improve from that perfection. But that that, that was a rough first half. All right, well, we were going to get to this later, but uh, you know, obviously Chandler doesn't play, um, gets injured. What what do we know about Chandler Morris, um, his injury and his time? Well, Sonny said today he's definitely out against Tarleton, and the the people I spoke with on Sunday um, told me that it was kind of a two to three week deal. So there was there was some hope that he could be back in time for SMU. Uh, I've had, and I've had some people tell me that, and I've had some other people tell me it's likely probably going to be Oklahoma before he gets back. Well, Sonny didn't really give a timeline. He just said kind of week to week. All we know right now is that he's not going to play this Saturday against Tarleton, but the good news is you have Tarleton this week, so it's not a, a huge opponent. Then you get a bye week, and then you go on the road to SMU. So you've got a little bit of time to heal. Um, for him, it's – Roughly two weeks, and uh, we'll we'll see how or three weeks. We'll see how it goes, but um, it's it's going to be uh, Max's job. I asked Sonny if there's going to be a competition because I know a lot of fans love Sam Jackson and his athleticism. And I asked Sonny today, "Hey, is this thing Max's job, or is this going to be a competition this week where you guys are going to evaluate?" And he he said pretty much that it's going to be Max's job, but Sam's going to play. Max's job, but Sam's going to play. I like the sound of that. Well, early in the third quarter, we have an injury, and uh, everything begins to change. I'm not putting that all on Chandler, obviously. He earned the job. Everything that you'd reported, other people had reported. Um, Chelsea had reported from um, climbing up on a ladder. Uh, he, he looked good in, in the preseason. He earned this job, but this second half, they just lit it up. And so the Frogs go on a 31-0 run until the last minute and a half of the game. Um, you know, you talk about a tale of two halves. You talk about night and day. What did you see in the second half, obviously? I mean, and this is kind of like the, 
biggest softball question you ever get. What did the Frogs do right in the second half on offense that they weren't doing in the first half? I, I think they were just attacking the box. I mean, Colorado was only leaving five guys in the box, and that's a that's a perfect recipe to start running the football, and we saw that. Kendra Miller got a couple. I think he got 30 yards in his first two carries of the second half, and then we see all of our favorite running back, Mari DiMicardo, run 43 yards for a touchdown. I, I think it was just it, – it really wasn't just – running the football, but it was the offensive line that just started to create lanes. And once you're running the football pretty well, you're able to get some of those passes downfield. And that's one thing that Chandler really didn't do in the first half. But the second half, he was able to get a nice pass to Spivey. And we had another play where we saw Chandler throw it to Spivey. He was wide open and he catches it, but there was a, a flag on the play. I can't remember what it was. But some of those things you start, start getting downfield because – we're focused on trying to stop the run. So uh, I think the running backs just really took over and the offensive line just took over. Some of those some of those lanes the running backs were, were able to run through were just two or three yards. And Amari's run, my gosh, I mean, he got shot out of a cannon and he made a really, really good move. And one thing that everyone has mentioned from TCU fans to Colorado fans and even Sonny said something about it today is TCU just looked so much faster whether it was on offense, whether it was defense, they just looked so much faster than Colorado. And those running backs between Kendra, Amari, and Amani, I mean, you've got you've got some really, really athletic running backs, and I think they just decided to take over. And the, that offensive line showed everyone what, what we'd been reporting. Because I'll tell you what, about halftime, I'm just waiting for everyone to start piling on me because of what I've reported and what the coaches – and I know it's kind of – some people are thinking – you know, same song, different, you know, different dance, whatever. This is Gary Patterson all over. He's saying stuff to the media that's not true. But luckily, the offensive line came together in the second half. They started to just dominate Colorado's defensive line. And Garrett Riley kept going to the well and just he'd start riding the riding the hot back and they got it done. Yeah, that was the best I've seen TCU offensive line play in a long, long time. Best time I've seen in a long time. But how – DeMarcado, was he a running back like when George Bush was president? <laughs> w. This guy – yeah, no, no, George H.W., not W. <laughs> he has been here forever, and he – you know, I mean, let's just give credit. He has been here forever, and he was one of those JUCO products that, that Patterson and others found – and we thought he'd come in and, you know, be a good blocking back on third down or be able to be a really good uh, backup um, to, to pick up some tough yards in the third quarter, of which he is. But that guy just continues to improve every year. I mean, is he going to be an all-pro NFL running back? No. But, I mean, he, he's got to be one on, on that list of people that will never get their picture in, um, you know, the Justin Center. He, is, he has just been a contributor since the day he got here. I mean, whether it was Baylor in 2018, all he's done, in, 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 and since then, he's just been a durable back. And I love seeing him have a good night um, closer to home than he was when he's playing in Texas. So he, he's just somebody – I was glad he had that moment. I was glad he was able to start to bust that game open because that was a heck of a run, and he's done nothing but uh, do everything that different offensive coordinators have asked him to do since the day he got here. Yeah, and I'll tell you, Anthony Jones, the running backs coach, I mean, he is – he has done a phenomenal job with all those running backs. And this isn't a knock on Rashad samples, but you, you just talk to some people and, and people are just speaking volumes 
about the job Anthony Jones has done. And I, I don't think TCU fans really know. I mean, some of them do, but I don't think a lot of people know how good of a running back coach Anthony Jones is. And Anthony, Well, I know oh, because yeah, when you hired him, yeah, everybody in my church in Memphis was like, you just took our best coach. And, you know, how many NFL backs are there that played for him at University of Memphis? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, Cowboys fans are going to think of Tony Pollard. But, you know, Jones is the ability to both um, identify talent as well as develop talent is where he's going to be a real asset for the Frogs. And that was on display Friday night. Yeah. And and really, he's done. Uh, you talk to any of those running backs from Kendra, uh, Amari, Trent's talked about him, Amani. They all love the guy. Um, they all feel like. They've gotten better because of him, and and we've always, you know, it, with with Amari being around, he's the old guy. He's he's the guy that, oh, he's okay as long as Zach and Kendra aren't healthy, and blah blah blah. We don't. I, I don't think I don't think media and fans really give Amari enough credit for how good he is. Um, with Anthony playing him the way uh, he is right now, and, and and let him get out there and get as many snaps as he is, it kind it kind of is proof to to some people that man Amari is a he's a pretty good back he's just always been in a very talented running back room but um he that's not a he he's just going to keep getting better and better and I think fans are just going to fall more in love with him because he's just a workhorse man he's an ultimate team player he's kind of like Max you know Max is an ultimate team player no matter what what you ask Amari to do he's going to do it he just wants to, to have the team win and He's in college for his sixth year. This is his fifth year at TCU. You know the guy just wants to play football and help his team win. Um, for him to stick around another year, he probably could have gone somewhere closer to home and finished out his career probably as a starter somewhere, but he decided to stick around at TCU and get his master's and, and try to help the Frogs win. Wow. Get that extra year at TCU, get another degree from TCU. That guy's got a bright future. Well, let's let's talk about Max real quick here. He only had a chance. He went two of two of three passing. It's not like we were lighting it up down the field. Um, yeah, but those but are like Max- the jet passes. Those are the those are the uh, plays that the offensive line coaches hate because they go in the passing category instead of the rushing category. It's yeah. a it's a it's a one yard flip, but because there's a flip instead of a handoff, it goes to passing. <laughs> yeah, every offensive line I, coach I can- is most hated play. I promise you. Well, frog fans that have watched Max for this is his fourth year now. You know, it's one of those things that you know. I think I was guilty of that. We're like, oh, we know what we get with Max. He can he can put us he can put a ball right on a dime when it matters, and then he can throw it into the tuba section. And we're not exactly sure, but you know, he's playing hard. You know, if he's uh, running his own read, he's going to gut it out with everything he has. You know, there's Max that throws it into the wrong place at the wrong time. And then there's Max that runs that zone read against Texas in 2019 and, and, and wins the game and wins and beats the Longhorns. And it's almost as if there's no middle ground. Um, count me as one that is looking forward to Max throwing the ball this weekend. I, uh, you know, we're going to make a little point of not, um, you know, just saying, oh, we got a new staff and doggone who used to be here. But this is a new regime. And, 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 and one of the things we know about Dykes is he knows how to develop quarterbacks. I'm really looking forward to see what Max can do this Saturday with the full offense, with a week prepared, and know he's going to be the starter. Because we know he has talent throwing the ball, but the only hesitation I have right now is we've got to see it, and we know for the Frogs to win, you know, eight games this year, or, you know, be, be competitive in November for things that matter. And we don't, you know, we don't know how long um, Chandler's going to be out. 
we need to see Max Duggan get the ball down the field, and we need to see him be able to put the ball in the air when it matters to the people that need to get it. What's your take on on his development that you were able to see with your own eyes and, and from your sources from, say, the last couple of years to what you were projecting onto him when he took the field this weekend? Well, first off, it was just kind of surreal to see Max coming in as, in a backup role. I mean, you've seen this guy as a three-year starter. He's made a a lot of plays. He seems like he's been around TCU forever. So when Chandler goes down and you hear Max Duggan's coming in as a backup, it's kind of like – it's almost like he – I don't know how to describe it. It was just a weird feeling for me, and I don't know how other people felt. Like it was it was just weird to me to hear that Max was the backup. But I, I think in fall, he showed a, he showed a lot – of improvement with making better decisions. He wasn't throwing into the crowd near as much. And I'll tell you what, man, it, it really was, there's going to be people out there that say, Oh, is this Chandler's more Chandler's job from the very beginning, blah, 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 this and that. It was not Chandler's job from the very beginning. I mean, they really and truly gave them uh, an equal footing to win that job. I mean, they got, shared reps. They, one guy would work with the first team in one drill, then the other guy would run. And it just, it was so divided right down the middle as far as reps go. And, and they really did do a good job of evaluating both guys. Now, I think Chandler was more consistent, just talking with some folks around the program, there was more consistent, but you're right, Jeff, there's, there's the arm strength is still there for Max. The accuracy has got to get better. He did have some problems throwing some practices, some practices he looked really good. Some practices he looked flat out better than Chandler. So it's not like we're going to have this tremendous drop-off from seeing Chandler and going to Max because I I don't think anyone could sit there and truthfully say, man, we're going to be missing a lot without Chandler um, because there was nothing that Chandler really did against Colorado that just set the world on fire. I mean, there was – it was – someone made a comment. It's like it was almost like watching – what we've seen the last three years with with Max because there were some questionable decisions, some bad throws, and you hope for Max being the fourth year guy he is, being a senior, he's obviously still very very well liked by the team. Everyone knows that he could get the job done, and hopefully you go out and you grow some of that confidence. You get some of that confidence back and feel like this is your team and and you can make plays and you want to see him do well enough to where the offense does well against Tarleton. And, and if Chandler's not ready to go against SMU and if he goes out there against SMU, then you got another decision to make. I mean, you, you, you hear the old saying, you don't lose a job because of an injury, but if you're rolling with the, with the guy, especially if he does not looking past Tarleton, but if you, if Chandler's not ready for SMU and you have a guy like Max go out there and have a really good game, you know, there's going to be some questions going on around around the program and especially from media and fans about who the guy is going to be when they play against Oklahoma. But I, I wish nothing but the best for Max. I want him to go out there because I still know he's trying to prove doubters wrong. There's a lot of people that don't think he could play quarterback. There's still people that want to say, well, let's move him to receiver. Let's move him to safety. But he's still a quarterback. And, and right now he's TCU's quarterback. You know, call me a homer, but I would love for Max to start the game under center or in the shotgun against SMU and get a win against SMU. I mean, you're not alone in that. There's a lot of people that that feel that way. Um, and I think the sad thing about some of the people's feelings with Max is because they invest too much time and energy over a college kid in his decision decision making. I mean, they 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 don't like him simply because they feel like he loses games for them and 
someone made a tremendous point the other day. Max was about reason four or five of why TCU lost some of their games they've lost the past couple years. Um, and I'm, but I'm with you. Some, some plays Max, and I've said this a ton of times on radio shows all over, all over the country. When people ask me about Max and Chandler, Max is the ultimate team guy. He's going to put his body on the line every single play. He's going to make some throws that make you think, man, TCU has a really good chance to win a lot of games. He's going to make some throws and make you scratch your head and say, what the hell was he thinking? And that's what you got to get rid of with Max. He's got to get rid of those moments where you're asked, asking yourself, what the hell is he thinking throwing that football or that decision? So I had one of those moments the other night with Chandler when Chandler had all the room in the world to run and he threw across his body and threw it behind Quentin Johnston on a, on a drag route. And I'm yeah, thinking, yeah. what the hell was Chandler thinking? Why didn't he just run that stinking ball and get about 15 yards? He had open grass all in front of him. But that's that's the moments Max is going to have to get past. And luckily, you have an opponent like Tarleton this week that obviously TCU should go out there and roll. And for whatever reason, if Chandler's not ready to go against SMU, I'm with you, man. I want I want nothing more. I would love it, absolutely love it, if Max goes out there and plays well enough to where you do have a quarterback controversy. Well, let me tell you what I saw here before we flip over to defense. You know, when, when Dykes was hired, everybody talked about, oh, we're going to be able to throw the ball. We've got, you know, his ability to develop quarterbacks. And, and I, I believe those things, and I still, I still look forward to all of those things. But what I remember in the 2019 game, in the 2021 game, is that when the game was on the line, SMU lined up and ran the ball down our throat. And they knew how to run the ball and uh, put a game away. And so that was what I saw in the second half from the um, from the Frogs that I was glad to see. And I feel like it's been a long time since we've been able to have an offensive line that we actually have have, have at least a, a monocle of trust in, and then running backs that, that knew what to do in the open field and, and with the holes that were created. So, you know, obviously we didn't have to line up and run the ball in a fourth quarter drive to win the game or run out the clock. But the ability to run the ball, it, there's a resurgence in all that. You know, like the, the pendulum is swinging back to where it's not just that you need to be able to run four verticals 17 times a game. It's that you've got to be able to run the ball when it matters. And I was really impressed with what the Frogs were able to do. And that's what impressed me about the Sunny Dykes hire, because that's all I remember is, is, you know, 19 and 21. And they knew how to put a game away with their ability to run the ball. You, you remember in 2021 when they had the walk-on running back running all over TCU's defense? You're, yes. You remember that? He, he, oh. he, looked, he looked like me as a JV fullback. <laughs> I was I was a JV fullback. I had fullback speed as a senior, and that it, no, I had JV fullback speed as a senior. Okay. Yes, that's right. No, but my little tangent is I was a fullback all through ball growing up, and then getting ready for my junior year, our high school head coach said, "Jeff, you can be a backup fullback, or you can be a starting guard. You get to pick." And I was like, "I've always wanted to be an offensive lineman." <laughs> yeah, you don't look oh, like okay. an offensive lineman anymore. You and I have done body swaps. Yeah. Well, I, I also played 3A ball in Iowa. So that's a, it's a different that's, – that's why I always like Max. You know, he played, for, he played in Iowa. All right, let's flip over to the other side of the ball where the, all of the energy was, where all of the commentators were blowing their mind about the Gillespie defense. You know, obviously we've got a big transition from the 4-2-5 to the 3-3-5. Uh, Gillespie's defense looked outstanding. It is really hard to argue with what we saw – we can use all of those subjective fan words like intensity and excitement and attack, but they were all true. 
So let's start with who everybody on TV was talking about and everybody on Twitter was talking about. Jeremy, are you aware that we had a starting nose guard that was 17 years old? <laughs> they made that a point, didn't they? The, oh, gosh, they made that a point. I went back and watched the game again, and it was like I should have just – you know, kept a tally here and, you know, take a shot every time they mentioned that, you know, that Williams was 17 years old, have been drunk by the end of the first quarter. But obviously, I mean, he is 18 now. This was his weekend. Yeah. So he, I hope he, enro- I hope he enlisted for the draft, but that it's, it's not just that he's young. It's that he, he did, he was as good as advertised, if not better. Yes. And I, I know you were doing everything you could to communicate that he's good and that, you know, you always try to temper expectations. Dominic Williams was the most dominant player on the defensive line that I've seen since Ross Blacklock's red shirt freshman year. That's what I have to say. What did you see? You know, you know, you, you covered the team all through spring and all through the fall. Was Williams as good as advertised? Did you undersell him on purpose? What did you see? I honestly didn't think I underselled him. I thought I was probably hopping him up. I mean, he was so good in the spring. I couldn't believe this kid should have been in high school. I mean, you're talking about a kid that should have been getting ready for the stinking senior prom, and he's out there going against Steve Avila and uh, big uh, – interior offensive lineman he he put like he went to work against Andre uh, Andrew Coker one time and just made Coker look silly so he he made a lot of these seasoned guys and, and at, at some point you start to wonder okay is offensive line bad and this guy's just really good or is offensive line pretty good and this just got this guy's just really really good and when he when he would go against Steve you know I've always really really liked Steve I feel like he's one of the best offensive lineman in the big 12. And when he was making plays against him in one-on-one situations, I was thinking, man, they, this is why Sonny Dyke stayed up until 3.30 a.m. to make sure that Dominic was going to sign with TCU. I, I don't think anyone can imagine how good this guy was going to be this early. I think they saw the potential. Um, he's obviously a big body, has a high motor, um, very agile, very quick for his size. But I, I don't really think – anyone could have expected him to really play this well early on. And I purposely asked Steve at Big 12 Media Days, and I asked him again last week because I wanted people to hear it from a player's perspective how good this kid could be. And Steve straight up said, man, he's the best best guy. I can't believe he's 17, the best kid I win against. And just spoke volumes of, of Dominic and – it was so good to see him put everything that people have been talking about. Cause it wasn't just media out there at practice. I mean, coaches were talking really good about him. Sonny was the first one to tell us that this kid was only 17 still. And then Joe Gillespie was talking volumes about him. So there was, there was a lot of, I, I don't want to say hype, but there was a lot of uh, high expectations for this kid. And you're starting to think, okay, is TCU really going to put a 17 year old, nose tackle on the first team defense because you're looking at Joe Gillespie's defense. That nose tackle is a very, very important position. And Sonny made a comment today about the players and um, how they think it could help with recruiting and they've got all these freshmen that are playing. And he straight up said, listen, if you're the best player, regardless of your class, you're going to play. And I think that's the great thing about them. They saw Dominic as a really good player. He's the best nose tackle they got, and he proved it to everyone. He he that stop 
uh, I can't remember which drive it was, but they had Colorado had a fourth down and man, he, he made a hell of a play, man. He just bullied through the guard and center and got Brendan Lewis for uh, no gain. And then he gets a sack later on, later on in the game, but he is going to be such a force for them defensively. And we all know the guys that watch football, if you have a strong defensive line, you're going to be successful on defense. And I think that was what was setting the tone the other night for them. They had such strong defensive line play and you're not going to get it in the typical fashion that we used to see for a TCU defense. Everyone wants to judge how good a defensive line is based off their sack total. Um, This is a lot different. You're going to want to look at rushing yards and they did a really good job other than the quarterback scrambles, which were kind of garbage scrambles in my opinion. I mean, that's, that's really the only kind of offense Colorado had most of the game. But if you look at just the pure, pure running the football with the running backs, the defensive line did a tremendous job and the defense in general, just as a whole did a really good job in run defense, a lot better than what we saw last year. Well, obviously one of the contributing factors of that was not just Williams, but you know, it was nice to see D winners out there playing like we have seen him play before. And so we're talking about on offense all the time, what's the jump going to be from one program to from one coaching staff to the next. I don't think anybody made a bigger leap than D winners from what we saw last fall to what we saw Friday night. D winners is the linebacker that we have been waiting for. And I know Williams is going to get all the coverage and rightfully so that was the game we have been needing D winners to play for about a year and a half. This made me feel good about my practice coverage because those guys I was talking about are, were making plays and it was really, like you said, Jeff, it was really good to see D winners making plays because Man, I'll tell you what, out of spring camp, I thought he was probably the most improved player and the guy that I mentioned as was going to be the the biggest beneficiary of this defense, um, just with the way Joe Gillespie lets his linebackers make plays. And 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 that's what we saw D. Winters make. He He's a bigger body now. It's it's kind of funny to watch him because he's, he's just he, – he did well with Coach Cause training him and, and getting that nutrition in his body. I mean, he, he looks good. And he looks good making plays. He's flying around. He's he's reading the offense really well. He's he's flying all over the place. And that's one thing I I mentioned to a lot of people. It was it was like the TCU defense of old, where you saw so many hats on the ball. How many times did we see them? You get one guy make that initial pop, and then next thing you know, here comes another guy, then another guy, then another guy. They're all they're, next thing you know, there's four or five guys tackling one ball carrier. And how refreshing was that to see? Uh, from a defense and we didn't see a lot of that the last couple of years so that's that's one thing when I tell people this this team has a lot different energy and they're having a lot of fun and I think they have a lot of fun when they get to ball hawk together and go out and make plays and I think D's kind of the headliner of that whole movement right now he's making the plays and I think he's just going to keep going and having a and having a good year ahead of us. Well, with that front six, that was what I was really impressed with. You know, obviously Williams uh, was um, the, the driving force for that up the middle. I love seeing D winners. Who were who were one or two other guys, not just in the front six, but even the back five, that you were like, oh, I saw them in the spring. I saw them in the fall. I told you they were going to be good, and they played really well. Obviously, these two guys are going to soak up the headlines in the podcast. Who else do we need to highlight on defense? I thought Jamoy did pretty well. Uh, Jamoy is – he's not – He's not a D winner's type and going to make as many plays as him. Um, but there will be one game 
so at some point we'll look up this season and Hodge is going to be leading the team in tackles um, because that's that's what you're going to have out of those linebackers. But I thought Josh Newton, even though he got beat on beat on that one play, if you look at that one that first play of the game where he was able to tackle the receiver behind the line of scrimmage, kind of set the tone and was one of the first plays you saw where all that all the the guys were just swarming to the football. Um, but I thought I thought Bradford Millard Brad, Millard Bradford had a good game. I thought he was robbed on that uh, interception that he had. It was kind of a a crummy. From my perspective, now I haven't seen it back on the replay on TV, so I could be really wrong. But I I, I think that he got an interception taken away from him um, that he should have had. But I'm not I'm not sure it was interception, but I'm just going to agree with you because I'm a homer. That's right. Just keep you, you keep those purple <laughs> glasses on, buddy. Um, but, That's right. I thought you're drinking the purple. Even even the guys that that weren't starting, like Caleb Fox, he came in and had had some good plays and. Uh, I think I think for the most part, people were wanting to hear uh, more about Shad Banks in fall, but he was just behind some really good linebackers. You had Marcel Brooks and Terrence Cooks; those guys go down. And then we hear today Thomas Armstrong's out for the season. He was having a really good fall camp, but Shad Banks. I mean, there was a, there was like three or four plays against Colorado that we saw him making plays, and and he's just going to be another another good player, but. I I really have high hopes for this defense. I, I, I'm not going out on a limb and thinking they're going to shut teams down to two touchdowns every game, but I think if they could play anywhere close to to that um, for the remainder of the year. Now, Colorado was dealing with the same kind of issues TCU had. They were dealing with a new offensive coordinator, and there was a lot of high expectations for that offense. I mean, you had you had Colorado people thinking Sanford was going to be the the – the savior and he was going to flip this thing around and that's what was lacking. And man, you get, you get hired and you don't you you have six points on the board until the last minute and a half of the game where they finally get two touchdowns, but, or the first touchdown, sorry, it wasn't even, they only had one touchdown, but that just goes to show that the, the reason why Sonny Dykes went out and got Joe Gillespie, because I think Joe Gillespie's always had a good defense at Tulsa, but he's never had this type of athlete. And he's got athletes all over the field now. And what's even greater, you've got a solid uh, three, uh, three to, uh, I'm sorry, a nine-man rotation on the defensive line um, that could keep guys fresh. And anytime you keep guys fresh, that's awesome. And then you've got at least, I think, four really good linebackers. Um, and when you get ba- uh, Brooks back and hopefully Cooks back, then you're gonna you're gonna have five and six good linebackers and. and even I mean, people like to dog on Wyatt Harris, but I think Wyatt Harris is a guy that's made a lot of plays in uh, his career, and it's just kind of funny now that he's he's still second string. He's almost like the the whole Max Duggan thing to me. Um, it's he's been there so long; it's kind of crazy to see that he's in a backup role, um, and he's a, he's a guy that's got several starts in his career um, over there at TCU. So I think I think for the most part, the defense is the highlight of the, the game. I think uh, the defense kind of exceeded a lot of people's expectations, including mine. I did, I did not think they were going to go out there and play that well, um, but they tackled better. They didn't have a missed coverage. They let a couple passes go over their head, but other than that, they played pretty, pretty well. 
you know, I was excited about the Gillespie hire. He was hired for the reasons I really like. You know, Sonny said that Gillespie's defenses always gave him a hard time. And but one of the one of the concerns I had two concerns about it. Not like, oh, they made a mistake. I was mostly I was just curious. You know, coaching at Tulsa, you've got to you got to coach them up. It's not like they're just rounding up the four stars or the overlooked three stars at, at Tulsa. And so they're lacking in, in terms of athletic ability. But then that's a that's a that's that's one of the I think it's the second smallest um, F, FBS enrollment in the country. Tulsa is not a huge school, and there's not a lot of athletic resources there the way they are even at other AAC teams like like Houston, like Cincinnati, or, 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 or um, you know UCF, or even Memphis. He's obviously known what to do. With, I was curious: is he going to know what to do with athletes, and is he going to know what to do with the with the significant in, bump of investment that he's going to have? What's he going to do with more GAs? What's he going to do with more um, analysts? What's he going to do with more quality control? What's he going to do that he doesn't have to go set up cones or whatever? Like, so he seems to have managed that transition really well, and that, that was really the one of the you know blanket concerns that I had. But I, I kept reminding myself. You know, Sonny has coached in the Power Five. I know that there's some frustration about, oh, he wasn't a huge winner at Cal. Uh, if, if you told me next year that Cal's dropping to FCS, I, w- I would believe you. That's not an athletic program that wants to invest. I was really imp- impressed with what Gillespie has done, not just with scheme, but with the talent that he had. And he seemed know, to know how to go get the guys and get the right guys in the right spots. So um, that, that was my... That was one of my things on my notebook that I was really curious to see because Gillespie obviously knows football, but when he gets handed, uh, you know, a, a lot more athletes and a lot more resources, is he going to be able to adjust? Because it's not just does he do well at Tulsa, but can you adjust to the new situation? He seems to have done all right with that, in my opinion. Yeah, I think he likes his new toy. Oh, I bet he does. I mean, <laughs> these are the toys that he had to be dying for in Tulsa. And he was probably dying for him going up against, you know, playoff team like Cincinnati or a team that goes 10 and two, like Houston. He's like, well, why can't I have what they have? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give you one more thing to put you on the spot. And then we're going to hit three quick games that happened this weekend. And then we're going to close out on the, the announcement about the playoff and wrap this thing up. What team's hat are you going to wear on Saturday? Because not all of our listeners may know, but um, I, I, you may have some um, mixed loyalties um, this weekend. Is this is this a house divided? Tell, tell us a little bit about what I'm hinting at here. Yeah, the daughter goes to Tarleton, and so does some of my money. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I I, I like Tarleton. I love the school. Um, it's great for my daughter, and they're riding high, man. They beat Mississippi Valley State. And I don't follow them as much. I know they have a transfer quarterback that's supposed to be pretty decent. And Jaden Smith is a receiver that is another transfer that had a really good game. I think he scored three touchdowns. But, you know, my my daughter knows. I mean, she knows Tarleton's about to get beaten even more purple than what they are. Um, but there's no wearing hats in the press box, Jeff, so I'm not going to be I know. I know. I I love the, uh, you know, when TCU wins, it's good for me. So I'll just leave it at that. Yes. When TCU wins, it's good for you. We will just, we will just leave it at that. Unless unless you have people arguing back and forth about, um, you know, politics or, you know, anything else, because that drives traffic, you know, any, any time like that or 
anytime anyone wants to talk smack about coaching hires, because there's a lot of people, there's, there's probably some people over the weekend when it was seven to six at halftime that were thinking, see, I told you Docs wasn't the answer. All you fools thinking he was. And then 31 yeah. to nothing yeah. later, or 31 seven, sorry. I keep forgetting about that late touchdown happened when I was walking down through the sea of purple that was actually at, at Colorado. There was a, mm-hmm. man, they had a ton of fans there. I mean, it was impressive. It was really, really impressive. They, I don't know what the exact number was, but man, they were so loud. Uh, and obviously, Colorado, I mean, give it to them, man. It was, I guess they had the first game high, no pun intended, but uh, they, had, uh, they had a great student section. I was thinking, oh man, TCU's going to be walking into a hornet's nest here, but it was, it was, uh, it wasn't really a hostile crowd, I guess you could say. And TCU fans, man, I'll just tell you, man, they did a they did a great job. I mean, the, those players had to be digging it. It was really weird too, because it was kind of a see the Buffalo the Buffalo on the field. You, you know, usually it's the home field that's looking at it in the correct position. It's the home side, you know. But yeah, at Colorado their home side is like they're looking at the Buffalo upside down. So they, they flip I, I don't, and I don't know how long it's been like that, but they flipped the field. So really where the press box was is where TCU TCU sideline was. It was really weird. It, it, it's first time I've ever seen a setup like that. Um, but I will say Colorado, their sidelines, they give Oklahoma state a run for their money. Oh, that's what I kept thinking yeah. as I was watching the game. And I'm telling you, it's tiny. I mean, there was, there was, I'll, I'll guarantee you, there's probably a, about 150 high fives from players to, to TCU fans that were literally five feet behind them. I mean, it, it is, I, I want to say Colorado sidelines probably even smaller than Oklahoma State's. I mean, it's, there's nothing. And, and instead of, um, less than attractive people smacking their uh, paddles against the wall at Oklahoma State. Everybody at, at Colorado right there on top, they're just passing a dube around, weren't they? <laughs> they're waiting to watch Ralphie run, man. Let's watch but, Ralphie run. Uh, we don't need to boo the opposing team, man. Let's just get along. Yeah. Now, I will say, I mean, even though Ralphie's not – it's a female and it's not a – full-grown buffalo it is pretty impressive to see a bison running around at full speed and and four four people in their jeans and boots keeping up with it i will say it's a lot more impressive them doing that than what smu does with that that pony that they run out there yeah yeah there's a little more of a of a cowboy factor and with that than the the dorks that are running the horse down the field at gerald ford stadium (laughs) All right, three quick games. You don't have to give me any feedback on them, but I'll give you a chance. Um, UCLA has their home opener. They're obviously making a big move to the Big Ten. They're clearly one of the most powerful programs in the country. And they had 15,000 people at the Rose Bowl this last week for their opening game. Man, was it even 15? I saw saw pictures, and it looked like there was about 7,000 people in the Rose Bowl. I I got fifth. Now that might have been what the what the SID put well, out. They, 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 they I announced twenty seven thousand. They announced twenty seven thousand. Yeah. Okay, then I read it. If if so, you think seven or eight thousand? That's what oh, I. That's what I. Picture, I haven't you? Have you seen it? 
Oh, yeah, man. He looks like an SMU game in November. <laughs> we're starting to dogpile SMU. We're getting we're getting ready. It's, we're we're going to start, re- gonna start putting our quotes up all over the locker room. Oh, I know they are. Uh, did you get any of the Iowa State, South Dakota State game? I mean, the Iowa, South Dakota State game? No, because I missed – my college football Saturday was spent on the road. And okay. You've never – I'm not going to knock – Colorado, but I've got to just be honest. Until you get to Denver, Colorado's a pretty yeah. ugly state. <laughs> I mean, that whole that whole southeast corner as you're going toward Oklahoma and toward the panhandle of Oklahoma and Texas, there's yeah. nothing. And I, let's not act like when you get to Pampa, it gets pretty. No, no, no. I'm and and listen, this is a guy who's never First of all, I wanted to drive because I didn't want every flight that I wanted to take was or wanted to I, for me to afford and, and get reimbursed, whatever. It was it was all late flights and the horror stories of people getting pushed back on the, these late flights and not oh, flights yeah. at all. I thought, man, yeah. I just don't want to deal with that. I, I don't mind flying, but. I'm not a big fan of flying, but above anything, I've never driven to Colorado. And I just wanted to see it. I just want to, I'm not afraid to hop in my car and, and drive for 10 or 11 hours. I'm just not. And I had Jeremiah with me. So Jeremiah kept me company. And uh, so I'll tell you what, college football Saturday was was not very rampant because you don't get very many radio stations out there. The rental car I had didn't have serious radio or nothing. So. I was mm-hmm. listening to some uh, backwoods radio stations, I guess you could say, or not listening to anything at all. Well, what you missed with Iowa and South Dakota State was a game that was seven to three. When it, at one point it was it was it was five to three, the majority of the game oh, that wow. I was watching, and Iowa had two safeties and a field goal and won the game. <laughs> they wow. didn't even score a touchdown. So that my brother's a big Iowa fan, so I was we were messaging back and forth about that. He he's not happy with Ference's son, who's the um, OC. So, and then finally, let let's continue to dog on the Pac-12. Best team in the Pac-12 won, went down to Georgia and got spanked forty-nine to three, and I think it could have been a lot worse. So Stetson Bennett, uh, did he get better? Is Georgia better this year? That's going to be a heck of a challenge for somebody to take them down. I saw a meme out there that had Bo Nix on it, and they said Bo Nix was arrested for impersonating a quarterback. That's every Auburn fan I know will agree with you. Every <laughs> Auburn fan I know will. Agree. I mean, how good is, and then, how, is George? Is Oregon not as good as people expect, or is Georgia just really damn good? You know, I'm going to go with Oregon. I'm going to go with Georgia's really damn good. Um, you know that Dan Lanning's. You know he's he knows what he's doing. He was defensive coordinator on this team last year. He had advantages of knowing their personnel. Uh, you know Mario Cristobal. He obviously was his. He was a great recruiter. They were that those cupboards were not bare. Right. You know he was a team that went on the road and beat Ohio State last year and brought a big chunk of people back. So this isn't like a rebuild from the ground up. So. Well, well, finally, we'll close with what I think is good news for TCU and good news for the Big 12, whether they stay at 12 or or further um, expand. I don't really care. 
because they locked in a 12-team playoff that has six automatic bids for the six highest-rated conferences. And as we know, the two top teams are always going to be in there for the Big 12. And so I think this is good for college football going forward. You know, Frogs win the conference, they're in the playoff. And I think I think this is a great I think this is great for the game, even as you know, some of the power is consolidating. If we can have a playoff where, hey, you win your conference and you're in, I think that's good for the state of Texas, because we know Texas and Texas AM will never get in there. I think that's good for TCU. Gives us a goal, something to aim for. And as we know, man, you get in and, and there's a high likelihood TCU would be hosting a, a uh, playoff game at home. How electric would that be to be ranked number five going into the playoffs and you get a playoff game at Amon G. Carter Stadium? I think this is going to be good for college football. Yeah, I've been waiting for them to expand because, man, I'll be honest, I don't think four teams was ever enough. Um, no, I, I don't think so. Either. I, I, I love the fact that because a lot of people thought, well, they just need to go to eight. I love the fact that it's going to 12. Um, I would love it even more if they went to 16, but 12 is a good number. Um, it's a number I think a lot of fans could get behind. And hopefully uh, hopefully NCAA, EA Sports gets it updated in time to where we can yeah. start playing that and have 12 teams in the playoffs. We'll be good to roll. Are you going to get that game? I know we're both old. And I've got, I've got an excuse because I've got a son that, that – is you know he still plays the 360 version that I've kept around just for just for one game, um, mm-hmm. but I mean we have reasons to buy it, right? Oh yeah, I've got. I'm so old. I remember playing Joe Walsh. No, not no. Will no, Walsh. Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh is the old congressman. Uh, Bill Walsh, college football, and and you know what's you know who my favorite team to play with was Coleman, Colorado. Because they'd run that that flex bone oh, option, uh, and it, I'd, I'd, I'd hold it as long as I could, and then pitch it to the enemy, and he'd take off. Well, you know, when they first came out with that thing, they didn't have the actual colleges; they had the cities that these colleges mm-hmm. were in. So I was—I never knew where Washington State was until I played that game. Yep. Well, I, they had the colleges by the time I started playing. But to answer your question, yeah, I'm going to get it. I'm going to break down and buy a whole new system, and I'm going to play it. And um, we'll probably get a Horn Frog Blitz um, tournament going oh, or something. Man. We'll get our own league. I'd be all in, man. Oh, I, 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 I man, I'd wreck shop with a lot of those dudes. I tell oh, I these kids do. that I coach nowadays, they don't want to take on Coach Clark and 360. Heavens no, they don't. Heavens no. <sighs> all right, Jeremy, this is good to be back. It is so good to be back, isn't it? It is. It, this Man, it is. I, I, I told uh, – I told Sonny this one time about a month ago. It's like, man, this is it, it for some people. It's been a long, long eight months, but it's crazy to think that how, how quick it's been ever since he got hired. This seems like a really, really quick eight, nine months. Um, seems like we're playing football pretty quick. And he's like, man, it's, he told me, he's like, man, it's flown by. It's flown by. Yeah. You know, it really has, and it's here. Soak it up and enjoy it. If we, if things, you know, we only, we're only guaranteed 11 more games, hopefully a bowl game, maybe, maybe a shot in the Big 12 play, I mean, in the Big 12 championship, who knows. But enjoy this because we are heading in the right direction. We are heading in the right direction. 
All right. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. We are back for season nine in the Sunny Dykes era. If you haven't yet, you need to go to hornfrogblitz.com and subscribe, and you will love everything that you're going to hear from Jeremy Clark, the, the insider. There's a lot of places out there where you can follow the frogs. They're all good people doing good work. Nobody's done it as long or as well as Jeremy Clark. This is the go-to one-stop shop for everything going on going on on the field and inside of the program for the TCU Horn Frogs. So until we get together next time for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.